is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Father, thank You for this record, this creed, as it were, of Christ Your Son. And Lord, as we think of Him now, we pray, please, for the help of Your Spirit. Lord, only by Your grace can we see and understand and take in the beauty of Jesus. So please, Lord, for His sake, will You help all of us here tonight that we may learn of Christ and grow in our knowledge and in our love of Him. We ask for this in His name. Amen. Well, last week we began a new evening series focusing specifically on the person of Jesus Christ. We began by referring to what the Apostle Peter wrote into Peter 3, verse 18. He tells the Christians to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I suspect, and it's only a suspicion, okay, but I suspect that for many professing Christians, their knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is, is fairly limited, limited to the major miracles that the world even would know of, like feeding the 5,000, like raising the dead, and so forth. The major miracles or the major dates in the Christian calendar, for example, Christmas and Easter. In other words, they know Him as the Son of God who was born in Bethlehem's stable, born to the Virgin Mary, and so on and so forth. The one who lived a life of good, who performed many miracles and taught many people, but was then crucified. He died on the cross, and we now believe that He died for our sins. And then He was raised from the dead, and again, raised for our benefit. It's limited somewhat to that, and, and that in itself is not a bad thing. For example, if you look at the Nicene Creed, those aspects of Jesus I've just mentioned, they are included in that summary statement. The purpose, though, of this little sort of mini-series is for us to look, if we can, more deeply at the person of Jesus Christ, that we might, with the help of the Holy Spirit, know Him better. And I'm very aware that what you hear from me will be very much based on how much I know of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember hearing somewhere how the church tends to grow at the same rate as the leaders tend to grow in that church which is always haunting, really. But it's true, and I hope that you would pray for my preparations as I try and fathom more myself of who Jesus Christ is so I can come and pass that on to you these Sunday evenings. But our hope is to grow. Our hope is to look more deeply at who this person is so that we might grow, that we might appreciate Him and see His glory by faith consider the Lord Jesus Christ, and again, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we might love Him more. But our hearts, as we hear of who He is and what He is like, our hearts might burn within us, and we might ache afresh with love for our Savior, and become more and more 
satisfied with Jesus. Last week we began with looking at what the Scripture tells us of the Trinity, of the Lord God as one God and yet as three distinct persons. And we saw in both the Old and the New Testaments the plurality of the Godhead and how the plurality was of three persons, not two persons or five persons, for example, but of three persons. And we looked at the distinctions within that plurality of three persons, one God, yet three distinct persons. We closed by beginning to look at the nature of the relationship the Lord Jesus Christ has within the Trinity, namely with the Father. I hope I'm right here, but it's interesting how whilst all three persons are equally divine, all three are equally God, Scripture seems to talk more about the intimacy of the relationship between the Father and the Son than, say, the Father and the Spirit, and the Son and the Spirit. don't want to suggest anything negative in that, but from my knowledge, from my understanding of things, that, how, that is how it appears to be. But in terms of looking at that intimacy of the relationship that the Son, who we know as Jesus Christ, that the Son has with the Father, Last week, we referenced Matthew 11 and how Jesus told the crowd in verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. From that statement alone, we noted the, the depth of knowledge shared within the Godhead, the mutually complete and exhaustive knowledge one has with the other, an intimate relationship and knowledge that, that we, we are able to participate in, but we can only do that, we can only share something of that relationship if we are allowed to, if God wills that we should know it. Hence, Christ came into the world. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only begotten. No one has seen God, but He sat beside God. He has made God known. Christ has come into the world to reveal God to us. And so He says later on, come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But this week, I want us to explore some more of that relationship within the Godhead of the Son of Jesus Christ to the Father, and there are little glimpses of the depth of intimacy shared between the Father and the Son in their love for one another. We, we looked at this somewhat on Christmas morning, for example, in the prayer that Jesus prayed in the upper room when Christ is with His disciples and they hear Him pray in John 17, 24. They heard Him say, Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me may be with Me where I am to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And I mentioned how before He ever created, before He ever ruled the world, before all things, before anything, God loved. God was a Father-loving Son. I think that's why John, the Apostle John, is keen to stress to us that God is love. Twice he tells us that, 1 John 4, verse 8, 1 John 4, verse 16. God is love. And so, if you were to ask that question again as to what 
God was doing? What was the Father? What was the Son? What was Jesus Christ doing before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world? We would have to say that essentially He was loving. God was loving. For the whole of eternity past, the, the Father and the Son and presumably the Holy Spirit too, but the three were loving one another. If you remember how Scripture talks of God taking delight in righteousness, of taking delight in holiness, then consider that for all of eternity, within the Trinity, there was that constancy of the Father seeing in the Son and seeing in the Spirit the perfection of these things, the perfection of righteousness, the perfection of holiness, and loving Him. That's why He says, God is light. There's purity in that, brilliance, perfection in that. And so, for all of eternity, God was taken up within the Godhead of overwhelming. I'm using words, human words, baby babbling to try and describe what it must have been like in eternity past. Is that important for us to know this morning, uh, this evening? Does that mean anything to us in our faith that the Father loved the Son, Christ Jesus? I, I think it is, otherwise I wouldn't have told you, would I? I think it is when we remember that the triune God, the Lord, is the true God, a God of three persons, each of whom know what love is. Do you think of the claims of other major religions of the world, of Islam, for example, or of Buddhism, supposedly growing religions in our day? People are turning to them, according to the statistics. But when you think of them and how their God, their one-person God, supposedly knows how to love, well, how can He know what love is when He's only ever known Himself to love? doesn't sound very great, is it, to think that that God spent eternity loving Himself? It sounds vain. It sounds wrong. Michael Reeves, in his book on the Trinity, the good book, uh, the good God, it's a great little book. It really stretches you somewhat. It stretches me. Very, very good. He's the theologian at Union College down in Wales. He writes that traditionally within Islam, their God Allah is said to have 99 names. 99 titles to describe Him as He is in Himself in eternity. And one of those 99 titles is the loving one. In other words, He is the loving one towards others. The problem, though, is that uh, with that is that there is a very significant problem there. For how could such a being be loving in eternity before He created, when there was nothing throughout eternity for Him to love but Himself? So, again, you have this uncomfortable image of a God who has spent eternity looking in on Himself and simply loving Himself. The only option Reeves explains is for Allah to have eternally loved His creation. But of course, that then means that the great God of Islam, who according to Islamic belief is dependent on nothing, is indeed then dependent on His creation. Scripture, however, shows us the true God, the living God, Scripture shows us that the Father has always loved His Son, and therefore for all of eternity the Lord Jesus Christ, who says He loves us, has known love. He who says He loves us for all eternity has known divine, flawless, perfect love. Think then of how Jesus, who has always loved the Father, think then of how Paul describes Him as having loved us and given His life for us. Try and fathom the 
the magnitude of that love. John, pray, uh, John records Jesus praying again in John 17, 26. Jesus says, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The love of our Savior. No wonder then the Apostle Paul prays that, that we who, who are the recipients of such love Paul prays that we might be enabled by the Holy Spirit to realize the magnitude of such love, of Christ's love for us. Ephesians 3 verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. God is love, and therefore the Lord Jesus Christ is love. And therefore, when we know the love of Christ personally as our Savior, we experience what has been happening for all eternity, this divine, this triune love of God. Another feature of the Lord Jesus that we don't often think of is of Him as the Creator. We're very familiar, aren't we, with John's opening statements to His gospel of how the Word who was with God and who was God all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. We saw in our Genesis series how God created through His Word and through His Spirit. There was one old ancient father in the church described the Word, the Son, and the Spirit as like the Father's two hands. It was through these two agents that God brought about His creation. The Word goes out, let there be, and in the power of the hovering spirit, so it happened. And God looked at all He had made, and it was, it was good. My question is, why did God create at all? Why? If our triune Godhead has eternally been satisfied in knowing and loving one another within the Godhead, why was there the need for more? And again, this is what challenges the false religions of our world, which distinguishes then biblical Christianity as completely unique. When you, for example, consider the ancient Greek myths of Zeus and Aphrodite and Hermes and so forth, when you look at their beliefs, we find that they created us because they needed us. They created us because they needed the worship and the homage of us in order to survive. Remember the concerned Demetrius, the Ephesian silversmith was about how Paul's preaching was undermining the worship of Artemis. He tells the crowd in Acts 19, 27, there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. There you have that belief to be gods according to their belief. Those gods needed us, but the Lord didn't create because He needed us. God did not create us because He was lonely. God created out of love. You think of what Paul writes to the Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus rather, in Colossians 1:15. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, but all things were created through Him. Yes, we agree with all of that. And for Him, for Him. It's because of 
in the past, the father's overflowing love for his son that motivated him to create and his creation, what he created is his gift to his son. That's why it's so sad when John writes about the Lord Jesus, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. What was meant to bring the son great pleasure what was made to bring the Son great joy, what was made as the arena in which the Son would reveal His glory to the pleasure of the Father and to the benefit of those who would receive Him. In fact, that world did not recognize Him. That world rejected Him, turned against Him, and killed Him. What joy then there must be in heaven when one sinner repents, when what God created, another part of God's creation, turns back to the Creator and gladly comes part of the Son's inheritance. What joy there must be when what was intended as a gift to the Son gladly becomes that and submits to their Savior, the Son, and lives the rest of their days for His glory. Thirdly and finally, another aspect of this relationship within the Trinity. That's our focus again tonight. We move on next week, but another aspect is the Father's choice of us for His Son. Ephesians 1 verse 3 tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. I remember when I began studying theology with the evangelical movement of Wales down in Brintirian in South Wales, one of the subjects we were uh, told to look at and to read up on was, of course, predestination and the matter of the sovereignty of God and so forth, and how God in His sovereignty has purposefully chosen a people for Himself, His body, the church, who would in time be brought to faith. And I can remember being sort of excitedly, intellectually blown away by it. It was phenomenal. I, I'd never come across this before. There was so much genius in it, the, the glory of what God had done by this salvation that I now had, it actually didn't begin with me. It wasn't something I had sort of figured out. It began with God. By God in eternity past, He had willed to save so that He would get all the glory. He would get all the praise, totally irrespective of me and of my ability and my likability and all that sort of stuff. But the brilliance of it fascinated me. Over the years now, as I've grown older in Christ, what has become even more profound to me is the matter of God's electing love in purposefully choosing sinners. Yes, it amazed me that He should will that people should be saved. And that was, that's phenomenal. But what has become more precious is the aspect of His love for those He chose to save. The thought that before God created as a gift for His Son, that the Father so loved the Son, He chose me and gave me to Him. Before I existed, before I had done anything that might, I could appeal to and use as to why God would ever consider choosing me, Scripture cuts through that to tell me God knew me. God knew everything about me every day of my life. He knew all of my sin the sin I would commit, and all the stupid and bad choices I would make, things which I now regret. But in spite of God knowing all of that, in spite of Him knowing the very depths of my depravity, 
God still chose me and you. God the Father knew us, and He set His love upon us, and He gave us to His Son and said, here, these are yours. These are your people. Redeem them. Not because, as He tells Israel in Deuteronomy 7 verse 7, you were more in number than other people. That's why the Lord set His love upon you and chose you, but because He loves you. That same basis of choice is for all of God's people. It's not because of us that God chose us. It's not because of us that God selected us and gave us to Christ, but because He Himself is love and because He loves His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why we read in Acts 13, 48, that there are those who have been appointed to salvation. What love then, what grace then we see here in our Father and in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting how everything that we have in Jesus Christ is, is primarily because of the Father's love for the Son. We often talk about, don't we, how God so loved the world that He gave His Son, that whoever should believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But actually, God gave us to His Son because He so loved His Son. God so loved His Son that He chose you and gave you to His Son, and His Son came into the world to die for you, to go to the cross and bear your sin upon Himself. That's why we are secure tonight, because Christ came for you. When Christ went to the cross and said, it is finished, He did everything necessary to save you. He knew you. He loved you. He came for you. It's interesting how if you have a concordance or if you have uh, computer software, and you type in that phrase, foundation of the earth, you find something more of what happened before the foundation of the earth. How from the foundation of the earth, Revelation 13 verse 8, your name was written in the book of life. From then, back then, within that, that, that context of love, eternal divine love, where, where God loved His Son, and God out of His Son and through His Son and for His Son, He created this world. But back then, He saw the world already. He saw you. He chose you. And He wrote your name in the book of life. Or Titus 1 verse 2, from before the ages began, God promised us eternal life. That's what God willed for you back then. Or 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, again from before the ages began, but grace was given to us in Christ Jesus. Can we see then how our salvation, our hope, what we have as Christians, it is all bound up in the Father's love for His Son and the Son's love for the Father. It's because of their eternal love for one another that we have their love for us, that we have their kingdom to share with us, that we have their presence with us to experience and their presence to experience and enjoy forever. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank You again for Your Son, Jesus Christ, for so loving us that You sent Your beloved, the, the one You spent eternity loving. You sent Him into our world, knowing what He would face. You sent Him for us, for Him. We pray, gracious God, that in all of these words tonight, that there would be something of a nugget that we could treasure and hold dear that we might see our Savior from another angle and appreciate Him and thank Him and love Him. We pray again, Lord, that in our own strength, in our own ability, we can't do that. Only Your Spirit, who 
lightens up, who exposes Christ, we pray that He would do that to us this evening, that we might see more of our Savior for His glory. We ask this in His name. Amen.